This is Archive Atlanta, episode 239, Heart of Atlanta Motel. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. It's been a very, very long week for me. I didn't have time to finish out some other episodes I was working on, and so I was gonna just replay one. But then I had an idea, and it's something I've wanted to do. So my early, early episodes, I mean like, you know, episodes one through 20, I just did not have the same researching resources or skills or knowledge. And I've really always wanted to go back and just make them better. And then I realized as I was listening to episode three, and this is 2018. And I talked about two downtown hotels. And then looking back, I realized this was kind of a mistake because I buried the story of the Heart of Atlanta Motel kind of into this episode. And it's one of the best stories. Like it's historic. It shows Atlanta's impact on the country. It also has this like divine retribution ending that's amazing. And so in five years of podcasting, it's still one of my favorite stories. And so this week, we're going to talk about it. The Heart of Atlanta Motel, who opened it, what was it, how did it factor into America's history, and then what became of its infamous owner. In April of 1955, local papers announced that the long-standing Atlantic Brewery was being sold and demolished. Opened on the corner of Baker and Cortland Streets, the Atlanta Ice and Bottling Company had been operating since 1876. So after the buildings were destroyed, this new motel was planned. The corporation was run by a president named Morton Rolston Jr., who was a local attorney, a man named Alan Webb, Charles Bickerstaff, and Dr. Harris Dew. The Heart of Atlanta Motel broke ground in January of 1956. It was designed by architect J. Warner Morgan, landscape architect Eugene Martini, and interior designer Richard Ranowski. By September of 1965, 24 units were ready for occupancy, with the rest finishing in October. The entire project cost $1.5 million. It was touted as being one of the finest motels between New York and Miami. It had 216 rooms, air conditioning, uh, featured parking for each and every guest, a very large swimming pool, um, elevators, Muzak, like elevator music, that was a big thing in the 60s. Um, a babysitter service, dry cleaning service, a barber shop. I mean, this is just one of many, many amenities. They also had the Glass House restaurant, which was a chain of restaurants that opened in the lobby. By the end of the decade, the owners of the motel said that their occupancy had never dipped below 97% since it opened. So let's go back to Mr. Rolston Jr. for a moment. He happened to be an ardent segregationist, which I know, not shocking for a white Southern man in the 1950s and 60s, but he was really on what I'm going to call less dramatics levels. And actually, they combined forces, as I'm about to explain. The Heart of Atlanta Motel was a frequent target of sit-ins and civil rights demonstrations. Between the years of 1961 and 1964, police had made almost 800 arrests at the property. In February of 1964, a group of many, most of them SCLC and NAACP members, attempted to sit in, first in the cocktail lounge and then later in the restaurant of the motel. Morton was down there yelling at the group. Um, nobody was listening to him. He eventually flashed a very small tear gas gun that looked like a pen that he carried, quote unquote, for protection. An interesting tidbit um, from the papers that I learned is that a lot of these sit-ins throughout the 60s, especially the student movement, there weren't always arrests made. So 
they kind of thought of this, whether it was the business or even the people and the police, it was kind of like a song and dance. Like people came in, they sat down or you know, black people came in, sat down. They weren't supposed to be there. They got asked to leave. They left and everybody kind of went on their merry way. People were normally not arrested unless they refused to leave. And then in some cases, it was kind of a planned arrest. Now, this was different at the heart of Atlanta Motel because Rolston was an attorney. And so he had judges on speed dial. That being said, he would procure arrest warrants almost instantly, and he did that that day. One of the people arrested in this incident in the winter of 1964 was former Congressman John Lewis, and this was his 29th arrest in the entire civil rights movement. On July 2nd, 1964, so this is five months after this incident, President Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act at 6.45 p.m., which in case you don't remember your history, outlaw discrimination in privately owned hotels, motels, and restaurants, among other things. On that same day at 8.55 p.m., Morton Rolston had filed suit with the clerk of the United States Supreme Court. So yes, he filed suit against the federal government to prevent the integration of his motel. I think he used the Fifth Amendment. He basically asked for damages. So there's $11 million in damages, $1 million for deprivation of property rights, and $10 million for being deprived of what he said was his rights of liberty to refuse service. This was considered one, if not the first, test case against the Civil Rights Act. Now, he wasn't the only one bringing suit in retaliation against Section 3 of the Civil Rights Act. Lester Maddox was right there next to him. If you don't know who that is, Lester Maddox opened the Pickrick restaurant in 1947 near Georgia Tech. The slogan of the restaurant was, quote, you pick it out, we rick it up. And he had advertisements in the newspapers that would say, quote, happy white folks in my dining room, happy colored folks in my kitchen, end quote. He is a future episode one day, I promise. Um, There's a lot more to get into. But the Rolston and Maddox cases were combined and tried before a three-judge circuit court in Atlanta, which ruled against them and then ordered both men to admit Black patrons within 20 days. Lester Maddox actually decided to close the Pickwick rather than integrate. This actually earned him the admiration of many white Georgians, which really helped when they elected him governor in 1966. Rolston, meanwhile, appealed his decision to the Supreme Court, and this case is known as the Heart of Atlanta Motel versus United States. By the end of 1964, the Supreme Court upheld the decision you know, of the Civil Rights Act, and Rolston and the Heart of Atlanta Motel lost their case. Morton was not happy. He believed that the decision would lead to, quote, a socialist state and eventual dictatorship, end quote. Uh, Legal scholars believe that this really led to the boom of Atlanta's convention trade, which is still huge today, and the reason that we got major league sports teams. The motel did remain open until about 1972, when rumors of a new Hilton hit the papers. These rumors proved to be true because by October of 1972, the heart of Atlanta Motel had been demolished. Atlanta's new Hilton Hotel, which still stands today, was built just in the end of that year and into 1973. Now, the story does not end here. It actually gets better. Morton Rolston continued practicing law and he was sued for legal malpractice. And now in order to satisfy that judgment, his home was seized in 2003. By 2005, the bank sold the property for $9 million to, drumroll, Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry then demolishes Rolston's old house, and he builds a new 30,000-square-foot mansion. And now here's where the fun begins. 
Morton Rolston had a history of small civil suits that bogged down city courts. He had sued Tyler Perry numerous times, claiming that the property was wrongly taken from him, so on and so forth. And just to let you know, I'm not even paraphrasing, I'm going to read you an excerpt from the 2007 court decision to disbar Mr. Rolston from the state bar of Georgia. And it says, quote, after repeated disciplinary actions and admonitions from Georgia courts at every level, Rolston has shown no remorse for his actions. To the contrary, he has continued to plague the judicial system with untenable claims for purposes unbefitting to any member of the state's bar, end quote. Comically, Tyler Perry had vocally praised the man's tenacity, like something along the lines of, oh, you know, that's the drive that got me to where I am today. Um, But then in some interviews, Mr. Perry also talks about the poetic justice that he felt about buying the home of an ardent segregationist. Tyler Perry sold the property in 2016 for $17.5 million, which at that time broke records for the most expensive residential sale in Atlanta's history. So there you have it, the story of Atlanta Motel. Um, You can visit some of the sites, kind of, sort of. So obviously the Hilton is still downtown. You can go to that site and there are some historic photos of the motel. Um, Tyler Perry's major former mansion still stands really hard to see it. I think it's on the Chattahoochee. So if you're kayaking down the Chattahoochee, you can maybe take a look at it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to the podcast. Um, There's also a Patreon link in the show notes if you want to support the work. I hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.